listening to Not So Risky Business Podcast, where we make legal easy for you by unlocking access to essential legal information, training, and strategy for online businesses, coaches, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Miriam Tsadurian. Welcome. Today, I have a special guest for you. He is a treat to listen, and his knowledge is unlimited when it comes to selling your businesses. With me today is Blake Hutchinson, CEO of Flippa. Welcome, Blake. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate that. You're very welcome. And before we get started, I want everybody to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to read a short a bio of yours. This is by no means an entire biography or what the skill set of Blake are, but here we are. Um, Blake Hutchinson is the CEO of Flippa.com, the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. Blake leads the team as they build out a product empowering exit and ownership for business owners and entrepreneurs globally. So, this sounds pretty amazing, Blake, a global marketplace for online sales. How did this idea come about? Uh, yeah, thanks, Mariam. So Flip has been around for a while and it was originally started uh, off the back of a business called SitePoint.com. Uh, SitePoint was a developer community uh, and that community had a forum. And within the forum, there were lots of people talking about trading source code, trading templates, trading domains, anything that related to websites. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a long time ago, some 13 years ago, uh, the founders were savvy enough to recognize that there was in fact a market for people who wanted to trade websites. Mm -hmm. And over time, that's obviously shifted quite substantially into bigger and bigger online businesses. Uh, but that was its origination. And as a function of that, we have a very large community of uh, developers, entrepreneurs, bloggers, e-commerce experts, and so many others. Oh, so uh, exclusively online businesses for Flippa? Exclusively online businesses. And part of that is because that's our background. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part of that is that, you know, it tends to be that digital businesses are global. And so the buying and selling universe, so those buyers, as well as those business owners representing those businesses, can operate their businesses from anywhere. Mm -hmm. They can acquire customers anywhere. And as a function of that, they tend to have global adaptability. So buyers are interested in them, mm -hmm. regardless of whether those buyers are local or from anywhere else. Interesting. Would you say there are, there are some type of online businesses that you tend to have more for sale and purchase over others? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's really four major categories. Mm -hmm. So we have websites, which are typically blogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the biggest blog we sold last year was a $5.2 million blog. Wow. Okay. Uh, we sell e-commerce mm -hmm. and the biggest e-commerce business we sold last year was just in excess of $10 million. Uh, we sell apps mm -hmm. uh, and we've sold very big apps up to $35 million and we also sell SaaS, so software as a service and certainly have sold those up to about $10 million too. So from very low value up to very high value, mm -hmm. site stores, apps, and generally speaking, online businesses as a whole, mm -hmm. we are slowly evolving into communities. So newsletters, podcasts, mm. Instagram channels, those types of digital assets where there are 
communities, mm -hmm. and those communities are therefore valuable for potential acquirers. Um, but yes, content, e-com, SaaS, and apps, uh, and it tends to be that you know they're either making money through advertising and or direct sale, and of course, in the case of SaaS, it typically is subscription. Wow. Um so you gave like two really extreme examples, like $5 million blog and a $10 million um, e-commerce. I'm assuming um, it's most likely confidential to know like which blog and e-commerce shop it was that sold for that much. Yeah, well, I can certainly give you some examples of um, businesses that have sold and, and use their names and their mm -hmm. details. At that level, the buyer and seller tends to want them to be uh, confidential, but I can give you some general details. Mm -hmm. So the blog that was sold was a GDPR compliance blog. So all of the wow. content <laughs> related to um, compliance and governance, and it was 13 pages of content um, and it was oh. backed by AdSense. So it was earning its revenue through the AdSense platform. It was serving tens of millions of page views. Um, it had hundreds of thousands of really, really reputable backlinks and referral partners. Um, it mm -hmm. was all organic traffic. They weren't acquiring, paying to acquire the customer. Um, it was mm -hmm. highly credible traffic. It was predominantly North American traffic. And the acquirer of, of that business was a <laughs> Florida-based publisher. And that publisher had an ad sales team so I have no doubt that what they were looking for was a bolt-on opportunity where they could leverage their existing operational expertise to get even more out of mm. the business. And so, yes, while, without revealing the actual name, hopefully that gives people <laughs> a sense. Um, I wish I could say it was me, but it's not. I lost my opportunity there. <laughs> I, I did talk about the GDPR all the time. Now I wish I came up with that site. Well, you know, it is interesting because blogs can get acquired um, of all sizes mm -hmm. and all topics. So, you know, we had a blog about crochet. Um, and that crochet mm -hmm. blog sold within 48 hours for about $90,000. We had wow. blogs about um, dog beds and uh, pet accessories and those types of things mm -hmm. where people are earning money through affiliate revenue. So as you know, you know, bloggers can exist across any number of different categories, topics, and then the ways in which they make money are particularly interesting too. You can have a direct ad sales team. You can use AdSense. You can use Ezoic or Mediavine. You can use the Amazon Associates program. So there's so many different ways you can make money from a blog. And as a result of that, um, there's a really savvy network of buyers, acquirers out there universally who are looking for well-run blogs that they continue to, that they can buy and optimize. You know, this is amazing hearing you talk because I personally know a lot of bloggers. In fact, my audience started as an audience of bloggers. Right now, it's kind of branching out, expanding more into, you know, entrepreneurs and other business owners and coaches. But my base following started from bloggers and I love them. Like, I, I really love them. I'm loyal to my bloggers because they are what kind of gave me my start in the business as well. Uh, it's great to hear that a passion project, which is what most blogs are yeah. initially, they are passion projects, and then mm -hmm. they turn into businesses, can actually make this much money from their businesses. Um, Blake, I want you to uh, discuss, I guess, uh, because we talked about prices and how much these blogs are selling, what determines the price? What are some factors that you'll look at when evaluating a business? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, the really obvious one is uh, its financial performance. Mm -hmm. And so there's a few things that come into consideration there. Uh, One, obviously, revenue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second, and I'm talking in obviously very basic terms, uh, the expense base or the cost base. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's, uh, its net profit performance. Okay. And so the way that a buyer will assess a blog uh, does ultimately come down to its financial performance. But secondarily to that, um, or secondary to that, I should say, there's also a large amount of value placed on the traffic, the audience, and ultimately the community. And so buyers will look at traffic and whether it's predominantly organic, mm-hmm. whether there's a brand and maybe it's coming in through direct or perhaps it's coming in through a long tail uh, keyword strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, you know that particular crochet blog I was alluding to before. Perhaps it's got a community of people that really love its content and mm-hmm. go back to it regularly. So that would be direct traffic where someone is searching for crochetkim.com, which happened to be the name of the blog. Um, or perhaps they're coming in through long tail keywords. They're typing in crochet mm-hmm. or Um, crochet patterns or those types of things. So that gets looked upon. Um, And of course, there's a premium paid for businesses where the cost of acquiring the traffic is uh, negligible, almost nothing. Um, And that's direct or organic Mm -hmm. versus paid. uh, You will tend to get penalized on multiple just a little bit because there is a cost to acquire the customer and the buyer needs to take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. The third thing that they look at is really consistency of performance. And so it's unlikely that a buyer is interested in a blog that has been around for less than one year. Mm-hmm. And it's unlikely they're willing to pay a premium for that mm-hmm. because it ha- doesn't have an established operating rhythm that the buyers can trust. And so a little bit like when you buy real estate, like an apartment or home, mm-hmm. um, and location matters a lot. In blog land, what matters a lot is that I am well established. So years of operating or operating history does give you a premium. Mm -hmm. And so in the case of that GDPR compliance blog, I I, I think um, it was 13 or 15 years old. I can't remember which one, but it had been around for a long time. And so it had a huge amount of credibility. Mm -hmm. And as a function of that, its traffic was very stable Mm -hmm. um, and its revenue base was equally very stable. And so they're probably the three things that a buyer will look at when they consider a blog to acquire. Okay. And uh, when it comes to, let's say, a website, whether it's a blog or something else, that generates money through ads, organic traffic and ads or affiliate marketing, and a website that maybe generates money by um, selling digital products or courses or, you know, other downloadable materials. Do this to get priced or valued equally based on the amount of money they're making or is one preferred over the other? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, No, one will be preferred over the other. um, And that's simply a function of the operating margins. Mm -hmm. So if I am using the Amazon Associates program, which essentially is an affiliate program, then I'm having to pay a portion of my proceeds, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, Amazon takes out bears and I'm left with uh, whatever it is. And each each category is different, mm-hmm. right? So Absolutely. you might have not only um, the fact that the affiliate program is less valued than perhaps 
Google AdSense, where I am tends I can tend to be valued on a revenue per page view mm-hmm. um, basis. In this case, I'll tend to be uh, valued based on the revenue that I'm earning through the affiliate program. Not only that, different categories within the Amazon Associates program pay more or less. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so as a function of that, that gets taken into consideration too. Uh, however, I mean, it does tend to just be a simple function of um, is the business consistently performing at the same level? Because then I've got a trusted asset. Mm-hmm. A trusted asset will always earn a premium on something that is either declining or is lumpy in nature or even something with a hockey stick-like growth. In blog land, that can be considered a bit of a risk. And so, yes, that that will tend to be considered as well. Okay. Uh, thank you. I'm sure my listeners would find this very helpful because um, several of them are in a process of currently uh, selling their businesses or their preparing their businesses for sale. I'm actually reviewing several of their contracts for that. Um, Blake, let's talk about a little bit about your background. Um, I want to get back to this topic and talk to the, about this a little bit more in a little bit. But first, I want to find out about your background. Uh, how did you get into this field? What are your qualifications for um, this particular um, niche? Yeah, there's probably a couple of things. I mean, one, I've worked in lots of fast growth businesses across different business models. So cloud accounting, publishing, mm-hmm. e-commerce, marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also sold my business on Flipper. So when mm-hmm. when I came to learn about the Flipper opportunity, the fact that I had actually been a customer of Flipper and could empathize with that customer experience, mm-hmm. um, that counted for a lot. So uh, I guess I've been a combination of operator as well as founder. And Were and you that, a customer that, before you were a CEO? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that tends to help um, because you, t- you can tend to empathize with the customer. You obviously understand the customer experience. You've lived through it yourself and therefore you can kind of architect a pathway to a better user experience on the marketplace. So, um, you know, that's that hopefully gives you a sense of my background, at least at a very high level. But as a function of that, um, you know, I think that we... we we tend to focus on what the customer's problems are and build around that. And that's pretty obvious, but we, we mm-hmm. are very hypersensitive to that. That's great. That's great. And, and generally speaking, uh, I guess on any given day, what's the, I don't know how to ask this question for it not to come off bad, but I want to say what's the, like a percentage of businesses that you have who are listing for sale and then the percentage who are, I guess, getting listed to buy. Do you have one more than the other, more businesses selling or more people buying? That's a great question. So, you know, we're a marketplace. So we look at that from a supply and demand standpoint, for sure. Um, and certainly you have far more buyers than you do have sellers. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good thing. Um Whilst we acknowledge we would always like more supply, so we would love for more business owners to join the Flipper platform um, and use us as a pathway to exit, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably a good thing because what you're trying to do is drive a little bit of competitive tension um, and get a get to a position where a seller can be dealing with multiple parties, can have an mm-hmm. engaged dialogue and ultimately a negotiation and find the price that suits the buyer as well as them. And sometimes you're better off doing that with multiple buyers than you are one. But the short answer to the question is yes, we have far more buyers globally uh, than we do mm-hmm. sell. 
the numbers on average, we pick up around three to 5,000 um, valuations and or businesses listed. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, on the demand side, we pick up nearly 30,000 buyers a month. So that's a, that's a, what is that? Five times five right, yeah. value, the volume of sellers in, in buy side demand. So that's that's really impressive and, and very big and something we're, we're proud of and, and we look to deal with. Interesting. <laughs> I would have never thought that I actually have more buyers than sellers. Uh, since we're talking about selling businesses and whatnot, uh, is there a right time to exit or prepare an exit strategy for a business? Yes and no. <laughs> so sometimes... Uh, the right time uh, is is tough to recognise. But generally speaking, there are two reasons why someone wants to sell. They've either taken their business or their blog in in this particular case, given the the community that we're talking to today, uh, to a level that Mm -hmm. is um, as good as they can do. Um, In which case, Mm -hmm. that opportunity, that time when you recognize that, that your ability to grow it above and beyond where it is today is limited, that's often a good time to consider selling. On the flip side, um, sometimes the best time to sell um, is when you need to sell. And so you are looking to do something else with your money. You might be putting your son or daughter through college. You might want to buy a property. You might need to... um, you might be going into a, a different job. You might have more than one business and you want to focus more time on one business for versus another. What is more important is preparing for a sale regardless of when that time might be. And so um, the timing is important. Obviously, you want your business in a good shape. You want it to be um, not declining. When your business is declining, that's the worst possible time to try and sell a business. Buyers are not looking for turnarounds. Uh, buyers are looking for good quality, cash flow generating assets. Um, so therefore, preparedness is most important. And preparedness comes down to a few things. One, do you have standard operating procedures in place that you understand and that a prospective buyer can therefore understand? So for instance, how do you produce your content? What is your highest performing content pieces? That type of understanding around the operational efficiency of your business is really important. Um, Mm -hmm. Two, do you have clean books? So do you use cloud accounting software? Have you had a bookkeeper organize your expenses and reconcile those expenses to different categories and line items of your your profit and loss statement? Mm -hmm. Because a buyer ultimately wants to know not only how the business operates, but how the business spends its money, earns its money. Um, And then probably the third thing is, making yourself redundant. So a buyer is always a bit concerned about how founder dependent the business is. And so as a function of that, um, if you're writing all of the content for your blog, you might want to think about how you can diversify and get content in from third party contributors so that there's less dependency on you. Um, if you're doing all of the ad sales yourself, that can be really good. But perhaps think about integrating an Ezoic, a Mediavine or a Google AdSense so that you've got some programmatic 
acquisition of advertising partners and therefore revenue. And so they're probably the three things that I would talk about when I when I reference preparedness to sale. Interesting. So essentially, we want to remove ourselves as the business owner or the person who runs it from that particular business when selling so that somebody can take over and we want the efficiency there and SOPs there so that they can just hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really critical piece, right? Because the first thing a buyer says is, okay, you're making $50,000. I want to know how you make that $50,000. How do you produce the content? Um, What is good content? What is bad content? How does the content get edited? Um, Is the content generated by you? Is it generated by a third party? Is it generated by guest authors? Is it AI generated, right? These are all things that operationally you need to have a really good grasp of, but you actually need to have written down and have clear evidence of how that process happens because buyers will want to know that. Otherwise, it's tough for them to buy the asset and run with the asset. Never would have thought that SOPs would be part of this. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of SOPs for any business, but I never thought that it would be something that sellers would look at when selling and buying a business. Interesting. Uh, is the process for preparing for an exit the same for any type of business? For example, if there's a e-commerce business out there, is the process um, optimizing that e-commerce business for an exit the same? as we just described for, let's say, bloggers? Yes, it is the same, but the metrics Mm -hmm. that a buyer looks at are different by business model. Mm -hmm. And so as a function of that, you will tend to need to merchandise your asset. And of course, our team is there to help you with that. And our onboarding functionality also talks you through that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is um, sellers are less good at understanding how to merchandise um, because they kind of assume that their business is easy to understand when in reality, all Mm -hmm. businesses are nuanced. And so um, whilst they're all similar, the metrics change and the way you describe your SOPs change. And so ultimately, Mm -hmm. a buyer would like to know what is the, the business? I am a blog or we are a blog that focuses on the pet niche, writing reviews of dog beds, toys, Mm. and accessories. That's what is the business. Um, How does the business make money? Uh, We make two thirds of our revenue through direct sales and one third of our revenue through Google AdSense. Um, Our total Mm. revenue is X. Our cost base is Y. So that's common. And every business owner will need to have a very similar structure to the way they present their business for sale. Uh, What is different, of course, are the Mm -hmm. metrics. So for a e-commerce business, I'm probably more interested in your um, average order value, your refund rate, uh, your inventory levels, uh, your landed cost for your inventory, Uh, your suppliers, your supplier agreements, all of those types of things are going to be different to SaaS. And SaaS is going to be things like uh, your MRR or your ARR, your LTV, that's lifetime value, uh, your churn rate. So whilst the merchandising of the asset is similar, the metrics that matter to a buyer are different. Okay, interesting. 
thank you for that. I do have one question that kind of uh, I have because of my personal business uh, experience. So there was a time I was considering selling um, the site business that I have. I have a law firm, but you know, aside from that, I have the site business with which now I'm doing my podcast, and you know, it, I'm taking it in a whole different direction. But basically, what it was at the time is me talking about a lot of legal topics um, to bloggers at the time and other online business owners in like simple terms. Like I would explain the law, what it is that they need to do. And, you know, uh, but obviously I was running that site. I'm an attorney. Therefore, I'm qualified to talk about legal topics. I'm qualified to explain illegal topics. And I was considering selling it at some point because once I opened my law firm for like two years, I wasn't doing anything to this uh, business anymore. But, you know, it, I started thinking that, okay, who's going to buy this? Uh, another attorney has to buy this or a law firm needs to buy this in order to keep it running. Because if a regular business owner decides to buy this, how are they going to continue running this kind of a business? So do you have like super niche, I guess, businesses that would require somebody with a particular skill set or education level to buy that and run it? And how does that process work? Yeah, it's a really great question. Uh, I mean, the short answer is yes, because it tends to be that savvy buyers are looking for inorganic pathways to growth. And so they acquire businesses for that purpose. They acquire eyeballs, they acquire revenue, they acquire communities, they acquire inventory. So it's a pathway to inorganic growth. As a function of that, it will tend to be that they acquire things within an industry that they are already operating in. So for example, we have had a um, tattoo, someone who, a, a tattoo parlor, which acquired a tattooing blog. The blog was called Tattooing 101. And they buy that blog because they want to acquire the community so that they can use that community as a, form of promotion for mm -hmm. their other business. Um, but on the flip side, you also get buyers who buy things purely on business model. They don't care about the category or the niche. What they care about is how it makes money and whether they've got the expertise to help it make more money. Where something is highly dependent on the owner, the founder, or the influencer, mm -hmm. that does become a little difficult. Um, but where it is a specific subject matter, there tends to be a lot of people who also have interest in that subject matter. So for example, let's say you are a trademark lawyer and you had people discussing the value of trademarks, talking about trademarks, buying and selling trademarks. Well, that would be a highly relevant acquisition for a trademark lawyer. It's more likely that a trademark lawyer buys that asset than it is anyone else. Mm -hmm. But I will say it's not to say that they're the only buyer for that type of asset because lots of things will come into um, come into play there. Uh, but certainly, you know, you will find that um, someone who is an e-commerce operator of vitamins businesses mm -hmm. will be searching for vitamins businesses. If you have a lawyer who has great content related to legal orientated topics. Yes, they're most likely to be looking for uh, blogs that also orientated to legal related topics. And so there's synergy there. I guess that's the, the simplest answer to the question. It's not a dependency, mm -hmm. 
but there's synergy. Perfect. Perfect. Well, um, Blake, thank you so much. Like what you're saying right now is going to be incredibly relevant and helpful for the listeners, uh, for my immediate um, audience, because a lot of them are interested in this. There are several websites um, that do something similar that Flippa does, obviously on a much smaller scale. Flippa is the largest marketplace right now and it does business globally. I guess what I want to know uh, for my audience's sake, let's say after today's episode, a few of them get, you know, um, empowered and um, they want to uh, start listing their businesses for sale, their blogs or their websites, whatever it may be, e-commerce shops. Tell me how easy it is to list a business on Flippa for sale. Yeah, super simple. Uh, as you said, we're number one, we're the world's largest. And, and so that is hugely beneficial to business owners. They get access to a huge buyer base with mm -hmm. a diverse uh, need and, and want. Uh, we have that buyer base available to our customers globally. Uh, we match them up programmatically. So rather than having to um, you know, wait for someone to call on a bunch of buyers, that all happens seamlessly. The simple mm -hmm. and easiest pathway is to get a valuation because that's what everyone's first interested in. What is my business worth? Mm -hmm. And so if you jump on Flipper, there's a free valuation tool. No obligation. It's a couple of minutes and you'll have mm -hmm. indicative valuation for your business. That is a great starting point because it helps you understand where you're at. Mm -hmm. As a function of that, you can then choose to list. When you list, you are given the opportunity to connect to different data sources to make that merchandising process a lot easier for you and a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. you, you would have to go through it elsewhere. And so you can connect your Google Analytics. Uh, you can connect your Stripe and your PayPal. If you're e-commerce, you can connect to eBay, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, Amazon, and a network of others. You can connect your cloud accounting, your Xero, your QuickBooks Online. And so that makes it really, really simple. Once it automates that process a lot. It automates the process. It populates and plots um, your revenue and financial data there so that you can expose that mm -hmm. and um, buyers can consume that. And then after that, um, you'll go through, depending on the size of the asset, you'll go through a verification process and you'll ultimately um, be assigned an account manager who will assist you through the process. The valuation mm -hmm. is quick, literally minutes. The onboarding process um, will typically take people an hour or two to get through end to end uh, because that is mm -hmm. the type of information that we know buyers want. Once you're on sale, so you're on the marketplace, it will typically be, depending on the size of the asset, that we can find you a buyer within weeks. Of course, end to end, once the buyer's completed their due diligence, it typically is a month or two before you have completed the exit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And how, so it might take a couple of months, according to you, from the time you list and f until the buyer does the due diligence and decides to buy. Correct. And how soon after that do the sellers have access to their finances? So let's assume that uh, we're talking about a, a five-figure blog. Um, mm -hmm. It will tend to be that that's quite a straightforward sale. Uh, so once the buyer has decided to purchase completed their due diligence, signed an asset purchase agreement, we will then utilize our integrated escrow uh, mm -hmm. and or trust payment, uh, trust account solution. 
And mm-hmm. at that point in time, so long as the asset transfer has occurred, the money is sitting in escrow and waiting to be released. The minute the assets are transferred, uh, the release of the capital is provided to the seller. So it typically is within days, hours mm-hmm. of the assets being completed, the transfer of those being completed in accordance with the asset purchase agreement, uh, that the money is accessible. Interesting. Thank you for that. That was a very clear response. Um, so if you're listening out there and you are thinking about selling your business, make sure to head to flippa.com. Get your business valuation first and foremost. It only takes a few minutes. So do that to find out approximately how much you can sell your business for. And then you can decide whether to actually list it or not. Uh, Blake, thank you so much for your presence today. Thank you for answering my questions. Uh, Before I let you go, I do have one last question. And I aim to ask this to all of my guest interviewees. So if you don't mind, I want you to conclude today's episode with one actionable tip one thing that our listeners can get from this episode and they can take it and apply it towards their businesses today what is one tip that you can give to our listeners i will give them we've already talked about it a little bit mariam i'm going to go with (laughs) um sops so get your standard operating procedures in place document what you do how your business works, because two things will occur as a result. The first thing is you'll end up picking out uh, things that work well for you and things that work less well for you, and you'll be able to um, execute on those changes and and come up with a better operational um, plan. But secondly, in the event that you do sell, you will find that those SOPs hold you in good stead. Buyers like that and buyers will value your business over others as a function of having that. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Blake. I appreciate your time. Thank you for spending your valuable time here with us, with our listeners, and providing us with all of this knowledge. Uh, I'm with you today was Blake Hutchinson, CEO of Flippa.com, the world's largest marketplace for selling and purchasing online businesses. You were listening to the Not So Risky Business Podcast with Miriam. Thank you for your time today, and I'll talk to you next week. Have a great one.